Does God care about your job? Do you see the spiritual significance to what you do Monday through Friday? Or are you often tempted to view the work week as little more than a paycheck? Whether you're a pastor, a bricklayer, a farmer, or a stay-at-home parent, the work you do day in and day out matters to God, probably more than you realize. In our interview today, I'm talking with Brian Chapel, President Emeritus of Covenant Theological Seminary and the founder of Unlimited Grace Media. He's also the author of Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of Your Job from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad I can be with you. So today we're going to talk about a really big and yet seemingly mundane topic, the, the issue of work, the work that we do. Uh, most of us, if we have a job, we're doing it maybe five days a week. Uh, other people maybe have different schedules, but it, it's just this ever-present thing, a reality for life, the work that we do. And I, I think uh, we're going to get into some of the ways that we can think Christianly about the work that we do. Uh, which is maybe easier said than done. But before we get into all of that, I wonder if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about your first job. <laughs> My very first job. Uh, well, I have to think back on that a little bit. Uh, if, <laughs> if we're just talking about mowing the lawn uh, and, or uh, working in the garden, my, fa- my father uh, was raised on a farm, and then he went in agribusiness. So he uh, he managed many, many farms. He maybe... Uh, um, a thousand at a time. So even oh, wow. though he was a farmer, uh, I, I have to tell people, my father started out in farming as a boy, uh, running a plow behind a mule. And by the time he retired, he was directing farm oper- operations from satellites. No so, way. So he, wow. went, he went through that full uh, technology development of, of uh, the last uh, 75 years or so. In, uh, in farm management. But the consequence of my father uh, being in agribusiness, but living in the suburbs, was he always insisted that uh, we have a large garden. And the consequence of having a large garden was my father, who was so busy with uh, operations uh, across the country and actually across the continent, um, that his kids were the ones that worked the garden. <laughs> and uh, and that means I hated gardening. To this day, I've said I am never going to have a garden again. But uh, that that was at least work I did. The, ver- the first job I had as such was uh, actually uh, running uh, the uh, radio transmitter on a large construction company in Tennessee. So wow. that was that was uh, I I dispatched uh, asphalt trucks and uh, repair mechanisms for the asphalt trucks. Does that sound, that's how I worked my way through college. Worked for the same company every summer. Huh, and so I you come back home and you do that work. I would. So yeah. it was a very, very large uh, construction, road construction company and they did most of their work in the summers. And, uh, and I was the chief dispatcher uh, for uh, that company during the summers. That's a great like salt of the earth type of job to kind of start off your working career. Uh, but then you've had a lot of other jobs since then, some that maybe seem a little bit more, uh, quote unquote, ivory tower. So tell us a little bit more about some of the other things that you've done. <laughs> you got tired of asphalt trucks so soon, Matt. Um, <laughs> um, so I've been, a, I've been a seminary professor. I've been a seminary president. I've been a pastor. I've been a dishwasher. I've been a short order cook. 
Um, I've done lots of different things, but the ivory tower things probably are the more about uh, having lectures and reciting yeah. sermons and that sort of thing, which you're referring to. So yeah, help us understand, because most people listening uh, probably have not been pastors, aren't pastors, they haven't taught in a seminary, uh, which can, uh, both of those categories of things, we're going to get into this as we keep talking, can have a certain kind of feel to them, or even a certain aura around them in how we think about work and how we talk about work oftentimes. Um, but what would you say are some of the similarities between some of the more, uh, quote-unquote, uh, I you know, ivory tower type of jobs, and then a job like being a, a dishwasher or being a dispatcher. Well, uh, Matt, if I can go into the theology a little bit, right? So uh, the, the reason that I, I wrote this book on grace at work is to help people understand how God is gracing their work regardless of what it is. And it may be the ivory tower stuff that you said, you know, being a professor and writing books and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, it may be uh, dispatching asphalt trucks or um, it, it may be working in a garden, all those uh, different things that I have done. But what, what I have to recognize is my, my dignity before the Lord did not change uh, whether I was dispatching asphalt trucks or telling students to write better sermons. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, our, our dignity, our measure of worth is not varied by the work that we do, it's uh, varied by the intention that we bring for the work. And so one of the things that I like saying in Grace at Work is just reminding people uh, that we got our label before we got our labor. So mm-hmm. way back there in Genesis, when the Lord is identifying who we are, he's, he's making men and women in the image of God. In the image of God, he made them male and female. He made them. Uh, so you say, um, we had, before the assignment of labor, we were told that we were being made in the image of God, that we would be made in holiness and righteousness with the ability to relate to the divine, and that he would love us as his sons and daughters and ultimately provide redemption for us because we are made in his image. And that notion of being precious to God before we've done a lick of work uh, is important to understand uh, how our labor, its success or failure, is not identifying our value Rather, we get our label first. We get our, we get our made in the image of God label first before we've done work. But, but then we also learn that labor comes before the fall. So what are Adam and Eve are asked to, to tend the garden, to do God's work, to sustain, maintain, and make it flourish uh, before they mess up, which is to say work is not a punishment. <laughs> you know, work is not a bad thing. And we often think of it that way. So I'm not made valuable by my work, done well or done poorly, and uh, I'm not having to do work because I'm being punished. Rather, work is a way in which I, made in the image of God, am expressing the goodness and the creativity of God. Hmm. And so what, what work is doing is ultimately it's enabling me to worship. So, you know, by, by work, I have the opportunity to express my dignity that God has given, express the gifts he's given. And at the same time, my work is the opportunity to represent God's glory, right? Do everything to the glory of God, Paul says in Colossians. And so in the strange way of thinking about work, according to Scripture, it's not just the way I get a paycheck. It's not just the way in which I express my gifts. Work is worship. 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm showing the world the dignity God has given me and the glory I'm to give him. So my work is actually worship. And I think that's something that sometimes we can pay lip service to, the idea that we, we do all things to the glory of God and that all of our work is meaningful. And yet, as we've already alluded to a little bit, sometimes it seems like there can be in Christian circles a sort of uh, reverence for those in, quote-unquote, ministry, full-time ministry of some sort. So pastors and missionaries and perhaps seminary professors, uh, others engaged in some kind of full-time ministry. And we kind of view those as special vocations that are uniquely positioned to serve God in a, in a uh, powerful way. And we kind of see that in contrast to maybe the work that many of us, most of us do as electricians or teachers or baristas or accountants. And so I wonder if you can help us think about that. Why do you think it is that we can sometimes think in that, that dichotomous kind of way? And is that the right way to think? Well, our, our Reformation heritage reminds us what of the priesthood of all believers. So when we are fulfilling our calling, we are priests in our realm. So wherever God is calling us to express, again, our dignity and his glory, we are witnessing the witnessing to the goodness, the greatness, the sweetness, the glory of our God. Uh, you know, in the book, I, I love quoting Gerard Manley Hopkins, the wonderful Christian poet, and, and he said, to lift up hands in prayer gives God glory. Well, we expect that, you know, if you're praying, that, that's one of those right. holy, holy things that you're supposed to do. So to lift up hands in prayer gives God glory, but a man with a dung fork in his hand or a woman with a slop pail gives him glory too. God is so great that all things give him glory if you mean that they should. Mm. <laughs> I love the last lines. If you mean to give God glory. with So, you know, I, I sometimes encourage people if they don't think much of their job to, to do the George Bailey test, right? So if you remember, it's a wonderful life, you know, mm, what, yeah. what would have happened in life had you not lived? So if the woman with the slop pail doesn't feed the pigs, what happens? Well, the pigs starve. And if the pigs starve, uh, the farm family starves. And if the farm family starves, uh, then there's not uh, food for the town. And if the town doesn't have food, then then there's not employees for the other profession. And you just kind of, if you do the George Bailey test, (laughs) then you find that God has intentionality Hmm. for every position and if we are operating honestly in accord with our gifts, with the way he has made us, then he's intending for us to bring him glory. If we're made to be preachers and prayers, then yes, we bring God glory when we preach and pray and write books. And, but, but if we are people who are, and you'll meet these people, Matt, there are people in church who are just good at making money. I mean, they're just good at it. And you meet those people in life and you say, how did you, how do you do that? And and even they don't really know because they're just gifted at making money. Now, if their gift at making money is employing people, if it's supporting the work of ministry and missions, if it's just letting other people discern their own dignity, if they find out through whatever company or business uh, is is being sponsored by the person who knows how to make money, they are discovering their gifts and contributing to the support of their families. Again, you just keep applying the George Bailey test over and over again. And, mm. and you find everybody has a purpose in God's kingdom. And if, if every person has their label before they have their labor, and what was their label? Their label is 
made in the image of God, precious to him. In fact, Jesus died for persons like that. Then you say, these people are of infinite value and purpose, and to the extent that they are fulfilling their purpose with honesty and integrity, they are bringing glory to God as he intended before the foundations of the earth were laid. So barista mm. or um, preacher, uh, professor, musician, uh, all of those persons, to the extent that they are doing what God intends, are bringing him glory if they intend to do so. Now, can yeah. you bring, you know, if, if they're just, if it's just selfishness, you'd say, well, maybe, maybe that's not bringing God the glory he intended. But if they are fulfilling their calling, doing to the glory of God what he has gifted them to do in the way that he has made them, in the place that he has put them, then all honest work puts us on holy ground. Hmm. And that's such a, a freeing and powerful uh, understanding and realization when we kind of embrace that the right way uh, with those kind of nuances that you shared. Uh, but you also note that, uh, you write, I recognize that there is a tendency among pastors, myself included, to see what is said in the scriptures as applying primarily to the life of the church and not thinking carefully about what people are called to do the rest of the week. So I wonder if you can explain that a little bit more. Why is it that even church leaders, uh, but all of us Christians, tend to uh, maybe not see that inherent dignity in the work that we do? Well, we, we all have an orientation to place most important what's most in front of us, right? So what a preacher, we preachers think of the life of the church as the most important thing in their lives. And the most important thing that they're to do is to teach people on Sunday who the Lord is and what he requires. But what we may forget is Sunday is for Monday. And what we're actually doing is equipping the saints for their work of ministry. And if I'm equipping the saints, I recognize the average Christian probably thinks, what is my Christian obligation at work? Well, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. <laughs> uh, okay, okay uh, yeah. And by the way, witness at lunch if the boss will let you. I was going to say, maybe uh, they also feel this pressure and guilt about sharing the gospel. Yeah, so, uh, and, and I, that's not all bad. You shouldn't lie or cheat or steal. <laughs> and if you can witness at lunch, great. But in the way that we do our task with honesty and with excellence, fulfilling our jobs with the gifts that God has given us to express, then we're still bringing God glory. We're still saying, look what God has gifted me to do. And when I apply that honestly and well, then I'm honoring the God who gave those gifts. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I quote different people in the book, but, you know, it, Jesus probably did not make tables that were wobbly. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, you and I know all the modern stuff that says he wasn't a carpenter, he was a builder. But I'll say, he probably didn't make buildings that wobbled, you know? Yeah, what, right. what did Jesus do to honor his father? Not just Joseph, but God the Father. He made good buildings, right? He used his skills in a way that didn't cheat people, that, that showed that what God had gifted him to be able to do, he would apply well. And so... It's, it's not just that our ability to witness in the workplace is the way that we bring glory to God. When a musician um, sings an aria with excellence that people weep for the beauty of it, then that expression of beauty is to the glory of God who gave the voice, 
who provided the creativity of the of the composer, who allowed the instrumentalists to accompany the way they did. I mean, if I say nothing happens but by the hand of God, then when I am applying myself to showing what God's hand can do, then that's bringing him glory. Mm. Sometimes we think the only glory in my job is that I can make enough money to give to the church or the missionaries. Now, please give money to the church or the missionaries. <laughs> but doing your job well is also giving God glory. In fact, we may, we may miss the, the primary impact of our work for God's glory if we think all I'm doing is either trying to get the paycheck for my family or a little extra to give to the church. That's the only thing that brings glory to God. We're actually forgetting that, you know, the vast majority of people in the world, the vast majority of their time is bringing God glory when they are saying, by his hand I do this, and for his sake I do this. That's bringing mm -hmm. him glory, too. Yeah, I, and it was so helpful reading uh, what you wrote, because I think uh, even I realize in my own thinking sometimes uh, the way I can think about work is that, you know, I, I'm doing my job and I'm, I'm kind of fulfilling what God intends for my work when I'm not doing the wrong thing. And so we, we definitely would agree, like, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't cheat in our jobs. But I think you really helpfully draw out that there is a positive glorifying of God that comes when we pursue excellence in our work and, and do those things, desiring to honor Him in that work, that that, that in and of itself pleases God in a real sense. And that, that's such a a freeing realization. Right, and you, you said it so well, and it's thinking not only of how I'm doing, but what, what is the goal, the end of what I'm doing. It, you mm. know, it's the old, old, old uh, Martin Luther cliche, you know, of, of, but I love it so much. I mean, even though people think it's a cliche, I love the example of Luther talking to the bricklayers, and he says to the one, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks, you know. He asks the other, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Now, Physically, they're doing exactly the same thing, but their perspectives uh, give them the ability to either see work as oppressive or work as glorifying. And, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, my family even, Matt, different stages of life. So, you know, I have, I have older children who are kind of at the high end of their professions at this point. They've been in their jobs for a while and, and you know, they're, they're they're the professors and they're the investment counselor. You know, they're doing really great. Uh, I have children at the younger end of the spectrum uh, who've just left the barista to work for the speech pathologist, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know just mo moving along. In just starting. Speech. Just starting. And, and I want to say, uh, you know, you are equally valuable to me. Uh, you are equally valuable to God the Father. And he has a plan for your life. It, as you are faithful at this level, at this stage, God will use it, not just to change the world around you, but to change you. So that what he's calling you to do at every stage of life, you are well prepared for and able to give him glory in what you do as he's moving your life along, preparing you at the different stages for the things that he calls you to do. And I, I know that when you're kind of in uh, where we are, middle class, Western society, that, that may be easier to say, but I, with intentionality, in the book referred a few times to going to a, a, a conference in a, in a part of our country known for cheeses, right? And I watched, I watched a man on the assembly line uh, stand, and all day, you know, what he would do is he would slightly adjust roughly every tenth brick of cheese in order that it would properly fit in the packaging. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm glad that's not me. Um, 
because I would not find that fulfilling. But I have no idea what that man, you know, what has God made him to do? Well, he's providing for his family. Maybe he's just providing for himself. I, I don't know. But if he were not adjusting the cheeses <laughs> so the packaging didn't fit, so that it became dangerous with bacteria because it was improperly sealed, then not only would people get sick, but the factory would close, other people couldn't work. I mean, that, that sense of God has called that man to that purpose, and if he can perceive the impact of his work faithfully carried out, then what to me, with my gifts, might appear to be um, work that would be terribly oppressive, for that man, in that purpose, with the gifts and abilities he has, he's able to supply to families and to company gifts that sustain them all and ultimately bring glory to God, who has enabled a man, gifted a man, to find fulfillment in that job. Hmm. Um, we, we're, we're wrong at times in our Western culture to think, you know, well, you, your job is to find that, that career, that profession where you can uh, be fulfilled in expressing your gifts. I mean, the vast majority of the world does work that is dull, repetitive, and mind-numbing, and yet, to the extent that people are able to see this job in the way that it provides for my family, for my company, for my country, for my town, provides food to eat, safety for others, can be perceived as God's gift to use someone made in his image to bring goodness and sustenance and glory to others. Hmm. There is glory if we will but see it. Yeah. Well, and that does relate to that issue of money. One of those topics that uh, is kind of inextricably bound up with work and the concept of work and our jobs. And I wonder if you could um, dial in on the person who would say, you know, my job is pretty mundane, and I, and I don't find a lot of meaning and purpose in the work itself. It does feel uh, pretty boring and not intellectually stimulating like a professor or an author. Uh, and so I, if I'm being honest, would have to say that the main reason I do this work is to earn that paycheck and take it home to my family and take care of them and support them. Is it wrong to view your job primarily as a means of earning money in light of that? Well, the way you said it, I would probably say, yes, it probably is. If your primary purpose is, I just need to make some money. Now, if you said, my primary purpose is the care of my family, then I would say, well, that's actually a high calling. Mm, your your yeah. care of your family is a high calling. And uh, Matt, you and I know um, there is no job in the world that does not have its garbage detail. You know, <laughs> ev every job has something that's unattractive in it, that's difficult, that's hard. And so at times, all of us need to say, you know, what is the goal? What's the end? What's, you know, why am I doing this beyond just a paycheck? Now, I will grant you, if it's only paycheck, you probably can't keep doing that job with joy forever. If, if, if you know, I, I hate what I do. It's not fulfilling. It's not challenging. But I just need the money for my family. Well, if there's no other alternatives, by all means, keep working and, and make mm. the money to keep to sustain your family. Yeah. But there is a sense of calling, and you know, that's that that old old notion. You know, we we typically in our culture now talk about occupation and vocation as the same thing, but uh, not in the origin of language, or not biblically, they are not the same thing. 
So my occupation is what occupies me, but my vocation literally means my calling. What is what has God called me to do? So I am obligated, if I have options, and not all the world has options, but if I have options to say, how has God made me and for what has God made me? So in, in that question, I'm, I am to examine more than just the paycheck. How has God made me? For what has God made me? Because then I'm really examining how am I best fulfilling his purposes for my life which is an aspect of determining what most glorifies him. Mm. And to take the gifts that I have and not use them is not to fulfill the purposes for what God made me. Now, yeah. I want to be careful because, again, we're, we're Westerners and, and we have a lot of privileges in this society. And so, you know, I can, I can just say, well, if that job is not fulfilling, I, I need to abandon my family's need uh, to find something that is fulfilling. Well, that's that's not your calling. Uh, you may or may not be called to a different job, but if you have a family, there is no question you are called to be a, a caretaker of your family. I mean, that's undeniable. Mm. So we, we are called to responsibility as part of our giving glory to God and being responsible to Christ in everything, whether we eat or drink, doing all to the glory of God. It's taking care of my family because those who do not take care of their families Remember, the Apostle Paul said, are worse than pagans. Even the pagans know to take care of their families. So if I'm taking care of my family and can do it with what is fulfilling, then by all means, do, do what is fulfilling and find that. But responsibility is not something that is uh, an evil. <laughs> it's yeah. something we are called to do. So I'm called to express my gifts. I'm also called to fulfill the responsibilities God has put in my life. But that is not to be onerous. If, if I'm called to take care of other people, that, that labor is dignifying. It's selfless. As much as Christ called me to take up my cross daily to honor him, there are jobs done with excellence in the mundane that are actually in, God intends to glorify himself by saying, see, there is someone who understands a greater responsibility than selfishness. Hmm. I want to go back to something you said in a minute ago about kind of the distinction between occupation and vocation. And, and with the caveat in place that, as you said, we're called to take responsibility for the things that we're responsible for. So if, if I'm a husband and a father, I need to take responsibility for providing for my family. Um, but at the same time, you, you talked about how uh, it can be good for us to try to discern what God has called us to and what what he's gifted us for. But something that I, I hear often from maybe more young people, college students, those who have just graduated, is maybe uh, an uncertainty about what it is that God has called them to do. And they look out at the the career landscape and they kind of wonder, what what should I do with my life? I know how I could go earn some money, but I'm not sure that would be fulfilling. I'm not sure that would really be all that God wants me to do. So like, what are what are some questions maybe that someone could ask themselves to try to discern what it is God would have them to do in a career? Well, that's a great question. And by the way, I don't think it changes at any stage in life. Now, Matt, you know, I, I've just had a recent job change. And, and I thought the job I had for the last decade was probably going to be the bell lap. You know, I thought that's, that's what I'll be doing the rest of my life. I'm in a church and I'm pastoring a group of people that I love and they love me. And I thought that was going to be it. But in our 
uh, church situation, uh, our larger denomination was in some tension and leaders asked if I would try to help with the situation we were facing. And mm. I asked what I think every Christian at every stage of life is supposed to ask. And, and that is, with the gifts God has given and the opportunities he provides, what best glorifies God in what he enables me to do. I'm, I, I'm always required to say, with the way God has made me, the gifts he has granted me, what most will glorify God with what I do with my life. I, I do, whether you're a preacher or, or whether you're a farmer or a, an artist, I think that's the basic question always. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean we have to get to the end of the path in the first job. Right? Sometimes there are jobs that we recognize are meant to train us in responsibility and money handling, and there, there are those who are apprentices before they're artisans, and those, are, those paths are perfectly, but at each step we're still saying, with the way God has made me and the gifts he has given, we, given me, I don't think we're just saying what makes me the most happy. I think we're saying what most enables me to fulfill the purposes for which God designed me. Because that's ultimately his cause. He's given me certain gifts and inclinations and abilities and intellect to be able to do certain things. What, what best fulfills the purpose for which God made me? Because that will bring the most glory to him. But as, as you and I know, that can be hard when you're early in a career to say what's the end of the career. Yeah. And now, now I'm going to say things I hope it's not too cliche. It's always easier for God to steer a, a car in motion. Right. So if you just say, yeah, I'm just going to do nothing, and then God will bring something uh, by. I was waiting for a, a voice from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, do, do what's responsible and good this day, and then let God develop the next day. And so I think we, we say, as what's the opportunity of today? What gifts do I have today? What abilities do I have? To, so I make decisions based upon the gifts, abilities, and opportunities that are most fitting this day, and I trust God to develop the next step and the next opportunity. Hmm. But that's, that's just saying, you and I both read peop know people who at times just say, well, I'm not sure what I want to do, so I, you know, I'm just going to do this nothing thing. For well, that, that actually is not the believer's choice. Yeah. Um, God, God has rescued us from the scriptures from an empty way of life. We, we are not called to do nothing, whether it's, whether it's service or uh, applying the gifts that we have to to, to building or bringing in the paycheck so that we can help other people or help the minister or mission, whatever it is, we're not called to do nothing. And as we take those responsible steps forward, God is big enough to guide the next steps and open the next doors. He can do that. But mm. we, we are responsible to apply the gifts to the opportunities of today. So what's the line between someone who is open to the next step that God has for them? And it is asking those questions uh, kind of like you said, throughout their life, you know, what what is the best thing I can do to glorify God in my with my skills and abilities and gifts? What's the line between that and somebody who is just constantly dissatisfied and discontent and always just looking for the next thing that's going to sort of be exciting and be big in their life? I think we we know people like that as well who are, are never seem to be happy with where they're at. So how do you know when when you're falling into that trap versus? just being open to God's leading. 
Well, that's a great question. And, and I don't know if you've got a, a real thoughtful answer. I think of the, again, the Apostle Paul, I've learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. That contentment is actually part of our calling as well. We're, we're not called to a restlessness, right? We're, we're called to say, if this is where God has me, then I will do an honest best effort here. And again, trust God to open the next door or guide the next steps in his timing and his way. So constant discontentment um, is not glorifying to God. And so we would have to say, if, if I'm just constantly unhappy, that is not a witness to the goodness and the glory or confidence trusting God's provision for today. So uh, there, I think there's a, is there a holy discontent that says, if God wants me to do something else, then I'll be willing to do that. And I'll still be trying to always ask the question, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? Where's God calling me next? I, th- th- I, think, I think that's a holy assessment <laughs> mm. of, of who I am and where I am. And that's a good thing. But just to be constantly unhappy is not glorifying God. And there may be those, you and I know them, we can think of them in our lives now, where you say, actually, life would be so much better. Christ would be so much more glorified if you were just happy. If you could mm-hmm. be happy saying, I don't have to be the president of the company tomorrow. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't have to be a millionaire by 30. Um, I, I can take joy in what God gives me to do today and what he places in my life today and trust that he will then lead me in the path he wants me to go. Hmm. All right, a final topic uh, that I think is a fitting way to end our conversation, and that's the issue of balance, balance in how we think about work and how we pursue work in our lives. And I think we all know on the surface that we should be pursuing a balanced life, and we all kind of have that as a, a vague goal out there, but we don't always know what that actually looks like in practice. And um, it comes out in something that a friend of yours once said to you that you quote in the book. He said, whenever I sit down, I feel guilty. And so what was behind that comment from your friend? Well, that, that was a pastor, and I suppose anybody in leadership feels the job is never done. There's always more that could be done. I could read another report. I could read another article. I could visit another family. Uh, if I'm a pastor, I, I, I could start another production line if I'm a boss. It, 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 always there is more that could be done. And I think the, the beauty of a scriptural understanding of what we are called to do, and I alluded to this before, what is my vocation? Uh, surely my vocation includes my occupation. Yes, the thing that makes money that allows me to apply my gifts in work. But my calling, my vocation, if I'm a father, if I'm a mother, includes my family, right? That I'm called to take care of those that God has put into my life and are my responsibility. And one of the things that I've tried to help, particularly those who are younger in life, though I have to remind myself often too, but when you're starting a career, is to say, scripturally, your family is not in competition with your job. I mean, often we think, you know, well, if I just sacrifice my family more, uh, then I'll be able to do my job better, uh, spend less time with my kids and so forth. Now, listen, every job reti- requires time away from your family. That, that's true. But balance comes when I say uh, I, I am called to take care of my family, even as I'm called to take care of my responsibilities at work. Why is that so? Because if I make a lot of money 
and have great career success, but my family is a mess, glory to God has not occurred. In oh. fact, people actually perceive the priorities of that Christian person as being a mess and not glorifying God, but actually taking glory from Him. If what I'm perceiving is my end goal, what I'm trying to accomplish, is whatever you eat, whether you, <laughs> whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, then the balance between my family and my job, which will vary depending upon season and stage of life and development of the company and all those things, but ultimately if my care for my family has damaged my family, then I'm not bringing glory to God. So mm -hmm. I, I, if my primary job is bringing glory to God, then balance between occupation and family is actually what brings glory to God. And uh, so uh, this, is, uh, this is not just something business people struggle with. I mean, so many pastors, I, I would be one of them to say, I feel like, you know, the more I can abandon my family, the better I can do my job. And you have to say, actually, you don't have any ministry if your mm. family falls apart. Yeah. So your family is not competition with your job. If your job is glory to God, then your family is part of your job, even as your occupation is part of your job, because they are both your calling. Yeah, that's such a helpful way to, to think of vocation as this broad category of, of uh, glorifying God in all of our life, and our occupation, the thing that we are paid to do is part of that. The way that we interact with our family is part of that. I wonder, as a last category, how does rest and relaxation uh, fit into pursuing a balanced life that, that ultimately does glorify God to the fullest. Right. Well, with some Thanksgiving, we would say the concept of a Sabbath is having a little bit of a resurgence right now in Christian culture. And that, that's because with, with virtual work, um, with changes of, of schedule, I mean, as time between, the separation between home and work uh, becomes less and less distinct, you can, you can work all the time, and you right. can make more money that way, and you can be more successful that way um, in terms of job success. Um, so why is Sabbath having a notion again uh, of rest? It does so much good to my soul to recognize uh, God can do more with six days of my labor than I can do with seven days of my labor. If there's never time for my God, if there's never time to sit back and say, God, you know what? I need some rest. You take over for a while. <laughs> All of us need to say that, you know, God, mm. you take over. I, I'm not fearful that my time of worship and family relationships and rest uh, are beyond the hand of God to take care of. And so believing that I have a God who is sovereign and actually commands my rest my rest from my labors so that I can rest in him, because then what? I can serve him even better because I'm so well rested. That's resting in my soul because of my worship of him, believing in him, trusting him, bringing glory. It's resting in my family, building those relationships so it really is haven for my heart when the labor is hard or the relationships are difficult at work. That, that building rest into my week is actually part of being able to do my job better. But I have to believe that God really can use that rest mm. and, and, that, and that God can provide for me when I'm not working all the time because I'm fulfilling His commandment to rest in Him.
And so um, that balance and that that rest is part of worshiping God, which we're also called to, right? So my vocation includes my occupation, it includes my worship, and it includes my relationships. Those are all my vocation, my calling before God, and I cannot do them if I have no rest. So rest is actually part of my vocation as well, if I'm thinking about what God has called me to do so that I can bring Him glory in every aspect of my life. Mm. And that, that is the goal that we're pursuing, not, not a paycheck, uh, not a certain position at work. Uh, we, we pursue something much bigger than that. Uh, well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us and share a little bit about your own experience uh, working for God's glory and giving us some advice as well along those lines. Thank you, Matt. A privilege to be with you. That was Brian Chapel on Why Our Jobs Matter to God. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Grace at Work, Redeeming the Grind and the Glory of Your Job. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts? That really helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.